Welcome to the Space Show, which is presented by members of the Space Association of Australia. Hello, I'm Andrew Rennie. On this evening's The Space Show, the James Webb Space Telescope, the big reveal and the Psyche asteroid mission has been postponed and another episode of Planet Earth. Well, first uh, let's have a listen to this. I'm Apollo 16 astronaut Charlie Duke, the 10th man to walk on the moon. And you got a bunch of guys about to turn blue. This is the Space Show, Australia, on 88.3 Southern FM. And yes, there were millions of people around the world about to turn blue as they held their breath this morning as the clock ticked towards 12.30. Yes, 12.30 a.m. Now, if you were not one of them, you may well be asking why. Well, in the wee hours of Tuesday morning, we were given a teaser from the White House. Let's take a listen to that. We are here to view the highest resolution image of the infrared universe anyone has ever seen, captured by the most powerful telescope anyone has ever made. Madam Vice President, we are particularly uh, we particularly appreciate your leadership of the National Space Council and your commitment to ensuring uh, innovation uh, in space. Uh, the floor is yours. Thank you, thank you. Well, good evening, everyone. I am very honored to be with you all. President Joe Biden and I talk often about our mutual passion for everything you all do. This is a very exciting moment to join you for the unveiling of of the work that you have been laboring on for for decades. So yes, as chair of the National Space Council, I know that today represents an exciting new chapter in the exploration of our universe. From the beginning of history, humans have looked up to the night sky with wonder. And thanks to dedicated people who have been working for decades in engineering and on scientific marbles, we can look to the sky with new understanding. When NASA launched the Hubble Space Telescope in 1990, we were able to see the stars unobstructed by the Earth's atmosphere and understand the universe in ways we could have never imagined even a few decades earlier. And now we enter a new phase of scientific discovery, building on the legacy of Hubble the James Webb Space Telescope allows us to see deeper into space than ever before and in stunning clarity. It will enhance what we know about the origins of our universe, our solar system, and possibly life itself. This was made possible by partnership among nations, and it is an example of how the scientific endeavor can build upon the international rules and norms that govern our cooperation in space. This telescope is one of humanity's great engineering achievements. And the images we will see today are a testament to the amazing work done by the thousands of workers across our nation who dedicated years to this project. 
they embarked on this complex endeavor for the benefit of humankind and in the process accelerated American innovation, strengthened partnerships with our allies, and will undoubtedly inspire generations to look to the heavens with excitement and ambition. With that, it is my great honor to introduce a leader who has always believed in the power of American innovation and international cooperation to achieve the remarkable, our president, the president of the United States, Joe Biden. But today is a historic day. And thank you, Vice President Harris, uh, Chair of the National Space Council. And thank you, my dear friend and our outstanding NASA administrator and the guy, only guy here that's been in space, Bill Nelson. Bill, you're a good friend. Thank you very much for what you're doing. And, uh, um, and Dr. Nelson, you've doing a great job leading this Office of Science and Technology and Policy. It really is a matter. It really is amazing. Six and a half months ago, a rocket launched from Earth carrying the world's newest, most powerful deep space telescope on a journey one million miles into the cosmos. First of all, that blows my mind. A million miles into the cosmos. Along the way, unfolding itself, deploying a mirror 21 feet wide, a sun shield the size of a tennis court, and 250,000 tiny shutters, each one smaller than a grain of sand. Put together, it's a new window into the history of our universe. And today, we're going to get a glimpse of the first light to shine through that window. Light from other worlds, orbiting stars far beyond our own. It's astounding to me when I read this and I saw the first. I mean, it really is. It's, it's, anyway, I don't want to. I'll see what they think when we see this. But light where stars were born and from where they die. Light from the oldest galaxies, the oldest documented light in the history of the universe from over 13 billion years ago. It's hard to even fathom. Tomorrow, when this image is shared with the world, it'll be a historic moment for science and technology, for astronomy and space exploration, for America and all of humanity. You know, as an international collaboration, this telescope embodies how America leads the world, not by the example of our power, but the power of our example, a partnership with others. It symbolizes the relentless spirit of American ingenuity, and it shows what we can achieve what more we can discover, not just about distant places, but about our very own planet and climate, like NASA's Earth Systems Observatory that we launched last year. That's why the federal government must invest, must invest in science and technology more than we have in the past. These images are going to remind the world that America can do big things and remind the American people, especially our children, that there's nothing beyond our capacity, nothing beyond our capacity. We can see possibilities no one has ever seen before. We can go places no one has ever gone before. You know, you've, you, you've heard me say over and over again, America is defined by one single word, possibilities, possibilities. I want to thank the team at NASA for once again showing that that's who we are. That's who we are as a nation, a nation of possibilities. NASA Administrator Nelson, I'm going to turn this over to you. So will you please tell us about what we're seeing? President, if you held a grain of sand on the tip of your finger at arm's length, that is the part 
of the universe that you're seeing, just one little speck of the universe. And what you're seeing there are galaxies. You're seeing galaxies that are shining around other galaxies whose light has been bent. And you're seeing just a small little portion of the universe. You know, a hundred years ago, Mr. President, Madam Vice President, a hundred years ago, we thought there was only one galaxy. Now, the number is unlimited. And in our galaxy, we have billions of stars or suns. And there are billions of galaxies with billions of stars and suns. And we're getting our first glimpse, as you said, Mr. President, we're looking back more than 13 billion years. Light travels at 186,000 miles per second. And that light that you are seeing on one of those little specks has been traveling for over 13 billion years. And by the way, we're going back further because this is just the first image. They're going back about 13 and a half billion years. And since we know the universe is 13.8 billion years old, we're going back almost to the beginning. That is the discovery that we are making with this. There's another thing that you're going to find with this telescope. It is going to be so precise, you're going to see whether or not planets, because of the chemical composition that we can determine with this telescope of their atmosphere, if those planets are habitable. And when you look at something as big as this is, we are going to be able to answer questions that we don't even know what the questions are yet. This is what's happening. And it's because of this wonderful team that's out here, joined, by the way, with our international partners, the European Space Agency and the Canadian Space Agency. So this is an international endeavor. Speaking early on Tuesday morning, our time, they were Kamala Harris, Joe Biden, and Bill Nelson. And, of course, the big reveal for the public was this morning, just after 12.30, big, long <laughs> ceremony. One by one, the pictures were revealed. And uh, what a stunning thing they are. Well worth a download. If you do download them, do download the high-resolution ones. So <laughs> they're about 150 megabytes each picture. And just... Zoom in on them. They are absolutely stunning. Well, now, the James Webb Space Telescope is named after James E. Webb. He lived from 1906 to 1992, and he was NASA's second administrator and uh, did a lot to set up the Apollo project, for example, and was an advocate for telescopes in space. Southern FM. The sounds of the Bayside. One of the difficulties of launching planetary missions, that is missions to the planets or asteroids or dwarf planets, is you've got to get the alignment right. 
It's not like uh, you can just blast off and shoo, over there at the speed of light. No, you've got to follow energy-efficient trajectories. And that means you've got to hit a certain window, a certain period of time during which you can do the launch. Otherwise, you've got to wait until another window or alignment of the planets happens. Well, usually NASA manages to meet those windows. It gets uh, the planetary missions on their way. So too does the European Space Agency. But recently, a mission was postponed because they've missed the window. Well, to find out, first of all, what the mission is, let's listen to this thing, and then we'll hear the postponement announcement. There aren't many classes of objects left in our solar system that we haven't looked at up close with a spacecraft. And one of them that's left is the metal asteroids. 16 Psyche is an asteroid that orbits the sun out between Mars and Jupiter. The reason that Psyche is unique is that it is metal rich. It's believed that it may be a remnant core of an early planetesimal that was formed in the very, very earliest parts of the formation of the solar system. And after this planet started forming and this metal core formed inside of that, it collided with other bodies that then stripped off the rocky mantle, leaving this core in place. This is the part of planets that we can't sample directly today. It's too hot. The pressure's too high. Our instruments would melt. Can't drill a hole that deep in the Earth or other planets. So how do we study the core of our planet? Psyche gives us the opportunity to visit a core, the only way that humankind can ever do. And it would be the first metal object that humankind has ever visited. We've been approved to go in August of 2022. It'll take a number of years to get there flies past Mars, gives us a gravity assist, uses that propulsion system to then slowly creep up toward the end of 2025, getting there in early 2026. We'll go into four concentrically smaller orbits to collect the necessary measurements that we need from our three primary instruments. So our payload consists of a couple of imagers, which are cameras that take pictures of Psyche. Also, a gamma-ray neutron spectrometer, which allows us to measure the elemental composition of the surface of Psyche. And then a magnetometer, which will allow us to detect any magnetic field that's left at Psyche. If Psyche still has some sort of remnant magnetic field, that, that probably tells us it really was a core. It's a strong indicator. We also use the radio on the spacecraft as an instrument, so we can map out the gravity and map out the interior structure that way. We're using a particular thruster technology, Hall Effect thruster technology. They operate five times more efficiently than normal rockets, so they use a lot less fuel and is what allows us to get into orbit around this asteroid. Solar electric propulsion has been around for quite a while and it has flown before, but we are continuing to push the boundaries. We're going to have big five panel fold out solar panels that will provide the electricity for the thrusters, which use as propellant the noble gas xenon. This will be the first time that Hall Effect thrusters have flown in deep space. Studying the evolution of a planetary body is a detective story. There's a magic to when you actually are on the launch pad and you say, we're go for launch. And you feel like singing and dancing and you feel like throwing up at the same time. Let's go discover things about our solar system that we have no other way to do. I think that it's fundamental to who we are and also who we should be. 
it's an incredible opportunity to be a part of the team making that happen. Well, as you heard there, pretty exciting mission. So, what happened? Why the delay? Well, let's go to the Jet Propulsion Laboratory where the announcement was made. Hi, and welcome. I'm Alana Johnson with NASA's Office of Communications, and we're here today to provide you all with an update on our Psyche mission. Presenting today, we have Dr. Lori Glaze, the Director of NASA's Planetary Science Division, Dr. Lori Leshen, Director of NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, and Dr. Lindy Elkins-Tanton, the Psyche Mission Principal Investigator. So I'd like to start things off today uh, by communicating that following exhaustive analysis, augmentation of resources, and efforts to rescope or rephase functionality, the project and JPL have concluded that Psyche does not have a path to launch with acceptable risk in the 2022 opportunity, which runs the launch opportunity, which runs from September 20th through October 11th. So the project and JPL um, have brought this information to NASA headquarters, to NASA Science Mission Directorate, and the Science Mission Directorate agrees with the project's recommendation and has directed the project team to stand down on the push-up to launch. Uh, we're giving the team a moment to take a breath and regroup um, and then uh, analyze uh, what potential launch opportunities um, are available in uh, 2023 or 2024. I wanted to also note that we are, of course, uh, very aware that Psyche is not the only project that's impacted by this decision not to launch in 2022. Of course, the Janus mission, which is uh, one of the Simplex missions uh, to fly two spacecraft, the two binary asteroid systems, that mission was scheduled to launch with Psyche as a ride share, as a ride along. And of course the implication here for Janus is that um, it will not be able to launch since it was scheduled to launch with Psyche. Um, and the implications, the future implications for Janus and that project will be considered once we have a clear path forward for Psyche. And with that, I'm going to hand things over to Dr. Lori Leshen to give you a little more information about what, this, what drove this decision. Uh, thanks, Lori. Appreciate it. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. The, the success of the Psyche mission is our top priority. And as you know, planetary missions have a tight launch period, and Psyche is no exception. That's driven by the alignment of planetary orbits needed to get the spacecraft to Psyche. Uh, so we had a tight launch period, and we have run out of time for the 2022 launch opportunity. The high-level uh, description of the problem includes a it's, it's a challenge with the software for the guidance, navigation, and control system. I will warn you, we may slip into GNNC, that's guidance, navigation, and control system. So the software for that system, it really needs to be thoroughly tested to ensure that the spacecraft can successfully reach Psyche. It's very important that that work well. The software has been delivered. But the issue is the time needed to complete the testing and the validation of the software. We had some challenges getting the, what is a very complex guidance, navigation, and control testing environment operating effectively. 
and that is also now fixed. So those challenges we faced with the testing environment are also now fixed, but we do not believe we have the time to complete this essential software testing and validation to make the 2022 launch period. So again, because we're confined to a tight uh, planetary launch period, um, where we can't miss it even by you know, a short period of time and reach Psyche. Of course, delaying is very disappointing, but it is the right decision to ensure the Psyche mission is a success. And with that, I'm going to hand off to our PI, Lindy Elkins-Tanton of ASU. Thank you, Lori. I am so proud of the Psyche team. This team has worked extremely hard to overcome many challenges but we just ran out of time on this one. The spacecraft hardware is largely complete and we were on track to support a 2022 launch. We have no inherent deficiencies in the design or the ability of the spacecraft to accomplish the planned mission. And in fact, we have no known problems with the GNNC software. We just haven't been able to test it. So we have today a beautiful functional spacecraft built and ready but there is that one challenge we couldn't overcome in time to launch in 2022 with confidence. We've just had insufficient time to verify and validate functionality associated with the GNNC uh, software and the fault protection and to fix any issues that we would then find during that testing. These are critical path items. Thanks, everyone. So there we have it. We'll have to wait. I did hear one report that uh, the mission will now launch in 2023. That's next year, but we'll just have to see. Meanwhile, let's hear more about this wonderful mission. We are coming to you live from here at the Spacecraft Assembly Facility at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Now, JPL is known for robotic exploration of the solar system, and many of those robots were made right here in High Bay 1. Now, Psyche is going to be headed to an asteroid of the same name in the main belt. And here to tell us more about the hardware that we're seeing today, what the mission will do, is Project Systems Engineer David O. Hey, David. Hi, Stephanie. What instruments are there, and what are they going to do? What are their functions? So the Psyche spacecraft is going to go visit an asteroid called Psyche, which is the largest metal asteroid in the solar system. And it's going to go try and figure out where it came from and how it was created and what it's doing there. So in order to do that, we have uh, three different instruments on here. We have a magnetometer, uh, which is a device that measures magnetic fields, which will tell us if it has a magnetic field around it. We have an imager, which takes pictures of it, which allows us to see what the surface looks like. And we have a gamma ray neutron spectrometer, which allows us to determine the elemental composition of the surface by looking at gamma ray emissions from the surface, which are caused by cosmic rays as they hit the surface. And uh, when is the spacecraft slated to launch? It's slated to launch in August of 2022. And where will we be launching from? It'll be launching um, from Cape Canaveral, Cape All right. Kennedy. And do you know what kind of rocket it'll be going up on? Yes, it'll be launching on a Falcon Heavy. So this spacecraft will use solar electric propulsion. Can you explain what that means and what's so innovative about it? Sure. Uh, solar electric propulsion is a type of advanced propulsion. We need advanced propulsion to be able to get into orbit around Psyche. And it's a type of system that takes solar power, converted into which is converted into electricity, and takes that electricity and converts it into thrust. It does that by using electricity to ionize xenon gas, which is our propellant. Uh, that xenon gas is ionized, which charges it. And then it's put through a magnetic field and an electric field, which accelerated out the back of the spacecraft. And by doing that, we can generate thrust so that we can operate the spacecraft 
uh, in space and get it, accelerate it, get it to go to Psyche, which is where we want it to end up. Okay, well, once you've launched, how long does it take you to get out to the main belt and get to 16 Psyche? It takes about three and a half years for us to get out there. So we launch in 2022, do a three and a half year cruise. Then we take about 20, 21, 22 months at Psyche orbiting the asteroid itself to collect our science data. How do we know what Psyche is made of? How do we know what Psyche is made of? Um, do we mean now or when we get there? Because those are two different questions. Ooh, all right. Well, well let's, let's, let's talk about what we know and what we don't know. And uh, if, we, if we knew everything, there would be no point in going to explore, right? Okay. So as of right now, um, what we know about Psyche, well, what we believe about Psyche is that it's made about 40 to 60% metal. And we deduce that from estimates that we've made of its mass, how much it weighs, and how big it is. And from that, we can deduce its density. And from its density, we can look at it and go, well, that thing, that thing seems pretty dense. So we can back out from that that it's in the M class. It's a metallic class asteroid. Exactly how much metal there is, of course, we won't know until we get there. And so it's when we get there. First of all, when we get there, it'll be the first time that it ever looks to us more than just like a speck of light. Right now, when you look at it in a telescope, and I've looked at it in a telescope, and it's, it's fun to look at, but it's really just a tiny pinpoint of light there. When we get there, we'll be able to take pictures of the surface. That magnetometer, if we detect a magnetic field coming from Psyche, that will be a sign that it used to be part of the inside of a planet. Because, uh, well, the Earth has a magnetic field, but that magnetic field comes from the molten core that sits inside of the Earth, the iron core. And so if Psyche was once part of the inside of a forming planet, that it may have picked up those magnetic fields, have remnants of those magnetic fields that we can detect now, even billions of years later. Um, what the gamma ray neutron spectrometer will let us look at it and determine exactly what's in that metal, whether there's nickel in there, whether there's gold, whether there's other materials. And from that, we can determine how it was created and what's in there. And then the imager, of course, shows us the surface. And by filtering those images, we can tell some of the co surface composition of the surface by looking at the colors and the frequencies coming off of it. So everything you've described with the instrumentation, this is all remote science. There's no actual contact that happens, right? Not this one. We're not no. landing this time. <laughs> is it a one-way trip? And why not try to take a sample? It is a one-way trip. Uh, we don't have the propellant on board to be able to come back the fuel, in essence, to be able to come back. And um, we're not going to be trying to land and sample it because, quite frankly, we don't know what the surface looks like. We have never been to a metal asteroid before. Now, we've been to asteroids that are made of rock, and we've seen worlds like Pluto that have a lot of ice, and we've been to gas giants like Jupiter. But this is really our first time visiting a large metal body. So we don't know if we can land on the surface. We don't know if it's, if it's rocky. We don't know if there are craters. So we need to really this, consider this the first survey mission. We're going to go out and we're going to see what this thing is, see what it looks like. And then once we know more about it, we'll be able to send out a spacecraft that can land on it or take samples and do things like that. But this is really our first time seeing a brand new body. So it's a little early for us to try and land on it. <laughs> well, OK, so when we get there, we go into orbit around Psyche. Um, how long will we stay there? And will we stay at the same altitude? Will we stay at the same angle? Or are you going to change things up? We will um, be there for about 21 months. And we will uh, be on a series of four different orbits, starting way up high, going down low. The lowest orbit will be within about one planetary diameter. So it'll be within about 150 kilometers of the surface, 150 miles of the surface, I guess, about 200 kilometers of the surface. And it's in that lowest orbit that the gamma ray spectrometer can operate and take its elemental data. 
But before we can go there, we start in these higher orbits because we actually have to go, and as I said, we've never been to an asteroid like this before. We have to survey it. So we start up in a high orbit where we can determine what the gravity field looks like and determine what the stable orbits are present in the asteroid. And then after, as we learn that, we move to lower and lower orbits, making sure we can get safely to the lowest orbit that we need to do the science. Well, one thing we haven't talked about is how big is Psyche? Uh, Psyche is about, um, let's call it 125 miles in diameter. It's a little over 200 kilometers in diameter. It's about the size of Massachusetts. Um, I think it's uh, the distance between Tucson and Phoenix, you know, a decent part of the size of Southern California. It's big. It's a big one. So imagine something that big that's made of 40, 60% metal. It's just huge. Um, an interesting thing about Psyche is that, you know, the Earth rotates and it has a night and a day. Well, Psyche rotates, but it's actually turned over on its side. So um, there are parts of its orbit where like one half is lit up and the other half is not lit up because it's kind of spinning like this and the sun is over there. And there are other parts where it has a normal night and day type cycle. So we have to sync up our spacecraft to arrive in such a way that we can get pictures of the whole surface so that we know that there'll be light covering the whole surface as it rotates. Um, otherwise, we're, not, we're just half of Psyche. And that's much less fun <laughs> than having all of it. And obviously that uh, was recorded before the announcement of the postponement of Psyche to the Asteroid 16 Psyche. You're listening to The Space Show, which is presented by members of the Space Association of Australia. Now, the Space Association of Australia is a non-profit and non-political group of space enthusiasts, and we're keen to learn about and share with people like yourself the excitement of space exploration. So if you'd like some more information about the association, then why don't you visit our website? That is space.asn.au. That's simple to remember, isn't it? Space.asn.au. And the Space Show has a website on the internet as well, and that is space.southernfm.com.au. So to visit the Space Show website, it's space.southernfm.com.au. And for the Space Association of Australia, it's space.asn.au. Now, we hold... A monthly meeting that's free of charge and that's at the Golden Gate Hotel which is at 238 Clarendon Street and these meetings are held from 7 o'clock till 9.30 with a meal available beforehand from 6 o'clock uh, you have to pay for the meal the meeting itself is no charge but there, there's a charge for meal and drinks and our meetings are held on the 4th Monday of each month. So the fourth Monday of each month for the Space Association meeting. This is planet Earth. You're looking at planet Earth. This is planet Earth. Welcome to episode 43 of our Planet Earth series in which we look at our home planet. In episode 42, we discuss the Cygnus constellation of small satellites that were originally launched to study tropical cyclones. 
Now, scientists are now discovering new uses for these six satellites. One of them is to prepare water maps over the land area. Remember, Cygnus was designed to uh, work over the oceans. Well, these water maps are now being used to estimate the amount of methane emitted by wetlands. Wetlands are the largest natural source of potent greenhouse gases. Now, you surely have heard of marsh gas. Recently, researchers found that the annual methane emissions from the Sud wetlands of South Sudan are actually greater than previously estimated, thanks to the new Cygnus inundation maps. The frequent measurement of winds in and near tropical cyclones has been shown to improve the ability to model inner core structure and forecast intensities. Cygnus completed its initial 24-month phase of science operations in 2019 and is now in its extended mission phase. NASA will support continued operation at least until next year. In a recent development, the Cygnus scientists have teamed up with the New Zealand Space Agency, the University of Auckland and Air New Zealand. Radar receivers have been installed on Air New Zealand aeroplanes to acquire airborne measurements for synergistic use with the Cygnus observations. The effort is referred to as Rongawai, which is Maori for sensing the water. These new airborne data will allow investigating the effects of landscape heterogeneity and the potential benefits of higher resolution observations. And now we have a feature from the European Space Agency. On November the 2nd, 2009, SMOS was launched from the Placets Cosmodrome on top of a rocket launcher. SMOS is one of ESA's Earth Explorer missions that address key scientific challenges and demonstrate new technology in space. Carrying a novel instrument to return information on soil moisture and ocean salinity, both key components of the Earth's water cycle, SMOS is advancing our knowledge of how water is cycled between the Earth's surface and the atmosphere. Understanding these exchange processes is crucial for understanding climate change for improving weather prediction and, for example, helping to optimize water consumption when growing crops. SMOS measures directly the surface soil moisture. So this is really the kind of rain gauge of the atmosphere. So we collect the rain and we store it. Measuring surface soil moisture gives us a hint on the rainfall, so we can partition the rainfall. But also looking at its, its evolution, we can link it to different other things. One of them is, of course, dryness or wetness of the soil, so floods or droughts. But also uh, the fact that the impact of uh, other events, such as El Niño or La Niña, and its impact on the rainfall distribution, hence the wetness. So it is used to infer or droughts or monitor the droughts, but also, of course, for food security in many regions to anticipate uh, crop yield, especially in uh, areas which are uh, limited by rainfall. This research satellite was originally planned to be in orbit for five years. But thanks to Europe's technological excellence, it has already doubled its life in orbit. 
providing time series data for a variety of applications. For instance, SMOS data is used for ESA's climate change initiative, through which data are compiled to understand how climate variables are changing over time. Its data are also combined with data from other satellites, such as Cryosat, to map the thickness of sea ice, a crucial climate variable. With SMOS, we have the possibility to measure the sea ice thickness. In particular, the thickness of thin ice we can measure with SMOS. We have also the companion, the ESA Earth uh, Explorer Cryosat. This was specifically designed to measure the sea ice thickness, and Cryosat is great to measure the thickness of thick ice from the freeboard. But with SMOS, we can accurately measure the thin ice. SMOS data are also used to map the freezing and thawing of soil. This is important because frozen soil, and in particular permafrost, acts as a carbon source. When permafrost thaws, carbon is released back into the atmosphere, amplifying the greenhouse effect. By comparing data over several years, SMOS helps us to better understand variables affected by and affecting climate change. Over the years, SMOS has proven to be a versatile satellite going way beyond its original scientific goals. Today, SMOS data are even used operationally for weather prediction by organizations such as the European Centre for Medium-Range Weather Forecasts. SMOS is very important for weather prediction because weather is related to forecast of the atmospheric variables, but it's also related to land surface forecast and ocean forecast, river forecast. And for this, for weather prediction, uh, our strategy is to develop an Earth system approach where we have a consistent forecast for the different components of the Earth system. And in this context, uh, variables uh, which are at the interface between land surface and atmosphere, or ocean and atmosphere, are very important to ensure the consistency across the different Earth system components. And SMOS is exactly that. It is providing information at the interface uh, between the different Earth system components. Over the course of a decade, SMOS has given the scientific community an unprecedented wealth of data. And while it has long surpassed its intended lifespan, SMOS remains hard at work while new missions are being studied and prepared to ensure continuous data sets with even higher resolutions and improved technology. Samantha Cristoforetti is of Italian nationality. She's a European Space Agency astronaut. On May the 25th, she spoke to the World Economic Forum from the International Space Station about observing the Earth from space. Yeah, I, I think that global big challenges like uh, obviously climate change and inequality uh, have are best faced when societies have at their disposals powerful tools. And those tools are knowledge, technologies and general uh, uh, you know strong economies and so I think that there's two ways of answering your questions I mean of course I could go and go off and tell you about all the space-based assets 
that monitor the Earth on a daily basis. And some appear by the some of those are, are free flying satellites, but some of those are here installed on the external platforms of the International Space Station because they benefit from the fact that they have this platform and all the power that is available and you know the data transfer um, and so and, and you know and, and that it was possible to install them here. So I, I could go off and tell you that, but I, I think that one should also have a more holistic perspective and understand that space is really part of our lives, of our technological development, of our scientific advancements, ultimately of our um, you know, economic resources and the technological and scientific resources that we overall have at our disposal to tackle challenges, especially like, like climate change. So as we develop space capabilities and the space economy, that becomes a multiplier of all the technological tools that we have at our disposals to tackle climate change and, you know, all the great challenges that face humanity. That was Samantha Cristoforetti, the European Space Agency astronaut who is circling the Earth every 90 minutes or thereabouts. Now, to finish out our space show, we're going to have a song called Escape to Mars. It's by Gift of Gab, and it's about environmental damage on Earth. Here's Gift of Gab. Phenomenal, abominable, bomber rally time and always automatic. Python clouds surrounded together. All the planet night comes down and all about is a lot of panic. Gratification, quick fix, mind manic in a wagon, antagonizing the wind. All matter ends. The earth will stand through the aftermath. Metal bring forth many avalanche storms in the canyons. Once filled with snow, wither only the tarantulas and insects survive. Replacing all humanity, we cramming all the damage in the ozone habitat and traveling into a savage. And I hope the tabernacle songs bring a born awakening of the nap and gonna be a long, long summer baking up a batch of that man, Juan Tonsu. Plant life cabbage that is guided by the powers of the dying of the flowers. Come on. Over oops, out of sight, time, mind, Illuminati, death, trap, blind, deaf and dumb, crazy, bent, 80%, wiped out, sniped out, burn, baby, burn, get hit when we could have been turning the cell phones off, rip through your city, the Bentleys exhale most more fish than the fish you should catch, they smell so toxic from the rivers ingesting death slow, now winter humidity, summers are left cold, y'all kids gonna feel it, it's no effect on y'all, since you directly don't experience no cause and effect, drifting, flipping the ozone wall gradually, it's all in our hands happening, global warming on the rise. 
eyes. Sad to see if we don't make a change now, then the path that we choose is our own till we save our planet, renovate all traffic, innovate more atmospheric race, all damage done away with. Maybe some escape to another planet, face mutated in a spaceship, traveling in stasis, examining the ways of men and how we take advantage of the place we inhabited and chase more lavish shit, racism, hatred. We did not pass it, but we may all be great to the wrath of Mother Nature. This has been the Space Show with Andrew Rennie. Space Show's on air every Wednesday at 7 o'clock.